Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy. You're probably already there. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Father, we thank you for divine utterance. We thank you for equipping and enablement. Glory to God. To overcome and live in total victory over all the wiles and the schemes and the ploys and plots of the enemy. Father, I thank you. You've ordained victorious living for us. You lead us in triumph. You're seated victorious at the Father's right hand. And you have made all of us in Christ as new creations made to sit together with you in that same seat. Lord, I pray that every ear this morning would be a listening ear and every heart would be an open heart and every mind would be an attentive mind to grab hold of the life-changing truth that is about to be presented. We thank you, Father. I thank you for the people's help, their victory, their deliverance. Help me help them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I believe at the Lord's direction, of course, that uh, He has had us for a number of weeks now uh, talking about how to have a sound mind. A sound mind. And uh, I've known about this scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7, for a long, long, long time. But, you know, you never get all the light. You never get all of the revelation that's there. So I was uh, doing some study and uh, the Greek word for sound mind, the original Greek word that Paul actually used there, is a compound word I found out. And it literally means safe thinking. Safe thinking. I better read the verse, huh? Amen. Notice what it says. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear. The Amplified brings out the uh, specific kind of fear Timothy was evidently yielding himself to, timidity. Timidity. Uh, Timidity is anything you want to do something, say something, but there's this this drawing back, this fear, this, this shyness, this cringe, this cowardice, whatever that works on you, and you draw back from what you want to say. You draw back from what you want to do. Amen. God's not given us that kind of spirit. Amen? Now, some people in, are more introverted. I'm an extrovert to the extreme. My wife is an introvert. I wouldn't say to the extreme, but she's more introverted than I am for sure. And that's just divine makeup. That's just personality. But shyness is not something you should tolerate in your life. Shyness is another word for timidity. Someone who is shy wants to engage in conversation, but they don't. They want to walk over and engage in that group of fellowship, but they don't. They're being restrained from what they would otherwise do. That's not God. Amen? An introverted person doesn't want to go over to the group. (laughs) That's the the difference. They don't care about it. (laughs) You know? Amen. That's That's just personal preference and divine makeup. But anything working on you or in you where you want, you would otherwise do or engage, but you don't for some restricted reason, that's binding. And that's never God. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Amen? You know, I had to overcome the spirit of fear to get up and talk. Uh, Amen. I I mean, I'm not going to tell you all the stories take me too much time. But, uh, I mean, I know what cotton mouth is. I I know what freezing up is. I, I know what running off the stage at a talent show off audition is because I was so terrified. 
I was trying to earn myself a date with Tanya McDonald, but I failed. I failed. Amen. Fear got a hold of me. Amen. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. What has he given us? I got people out there that are new going, I haven't heard to Tanya McDonald. You'll have to stick around. I just don't have time today. Amen. He's given us the spirit of power. Amen. He's given us the spirit of love. And oh, thank God, he has given us a sound mind. Or, as I mentioned in the Greek, he has given unto us safe thinking. See, an unsound mind is dangerous to have. I was when I when I saw that term in a Greek dictionary, safe thinking, I thought about a condemned house. Why has a city or a county condemned a structure? It's not safe. It has been deemed so off kilter, so unsound, it has been condemned. Well, some people's minds, some people's ways of thinking are like that. It's not safe to think certain ways. Let me extend this further. You might be gaining ground. I hope you are in gaining a renewed mind, a sound mind. Pretty quickly, if you gain any ground in that, you're going to recognize it's not safe to fellowship with someone with unsafe thinking. We love everybody. But some people's mentality, you fellowship, you know, some people, I, uh, <laughs> you get around them, it's just so funny, one of these stories. So, some people I recognize, when they get into the company of real Kentucky rednecks, <laughs> their accent is intensified. Have you ever noticed that? They get more, their draw and their, their, their hickness is amplified because of who they're around. But in other company, they're more cosmopolitan, you know what I mean? They're, 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 they don't have that as much. It's amazing how powerful the influences are of the people we are around. And now I'm not one that advocates that, you know, that we have to just shelter ourselves from the world. We're to be an oasis in the desert. We're to be a light in the darkness. But I'm talking about where and with whom do you draw your fellowship? I'm totally convinced in my life one of the reasons why my wife and I's lives have taken on a, an upward trajectory is because God has brought us into the company of friends and spiritual parents and influences who are thinking further along and higher than I've been thinking. And just by my fellowship with them, they pull you up. You want, you want a fellowship with people who are going to pull you up and not drag you down. The Bible says in Hebrews that we should lay aside every weight. Every weight. Now weights can be a lot of things. It could be a habit. But it could be people. Some people need to be laid aside. I'm not talking about your spouse. <laughs> Amen. I'm not talking about your children. Amen. I am talking about you, you, where, who, with whom you draw your fellowship from. Amen. Glory to God. Well, let's go over again. The Amplified Bible gives us, as the Amplified is so good at doing, 
If you have an amplified classic translation, it's the one I recommend. Be careful of that new that newfangled uh, amplified. It's not near as good. Uh, praise God. But anyway, in the Greek, it brings out four attributes of a sound mind. Remember what they are? The first one is calm. A sound mind, safe thinking is calm thinking. Don't make big, huge, important decisions while you're flipping out. When you're in freak out mode, just hold on and outlast the freak out. But don't make a decision. Don't quit your job. Don't, don't divorce your husband. Don't, don't, don't be making decisions while you are really under the influence of pressure. You make bad decisions. Get yourself calmed down. Amen? You know, you got all this turmoil going on and around you and in your mind and everything. It would be very difficult for you to discern what the Spirit of God is saying to you. Because the flow of the Spirit of God is peace. Amen? It goes on and says, well-balanced. A sound mind is a well-rounded, well-balanced mind. In other words, a sound mind is not one that runs and lives at extremes. You want to take care of any issue you want to bring up, there's a ditch of extremes on both sides. You want to have a well-balanced understanding. My uh, pastor from Oklahoma, he gave some wonderful counsel and advice as we prepared to assume the leadership of this church. One of the things he told my wife and I is seldom, when you hear something as a pastor, seldom, very rarely, is it as bad or as good as you first hear. You just remember that. And that has served me well. You get some report and someone comes up to you panic. Oh, pastor, did you hear? It's not that bad. I just try to remember, it's not that bad. This person's just in drama. Amen? Just very rarely. And if it is a really bad situation, is me entering into that, huh, going to help anything? No. Think about Jesus. He's sitting there with his disciples, minding his own business, and someone comes in from another town saying, Lazarus, whom you love, Jesus, is sick, sick nigh unto death. Did he enter into there? Did he get all worked up? Did he rush himself? Did he run throughout the tent of the house? Get, pack up, come on boys, we've got to go. He even stayed there. He just sat there. He refused to be moved. I'm led by my father. I'm not led by crisis. I'm not led by bad situations and circumstances. He stayed there two more days. He said... He's dead anyway. He already knew it by then. He's already, he knew it by the Spirit. He's already dead. So there ain't no need in rushing. He's not going anywhere. Is that right? There's no need breaking a sweat and getting over there. And let's just have us a greater miracle because the people I've raised from the dead so far were kind of quickies. So let's let a few days go by. This will be an even greater miracle. God will get more greater glory. And we'll have, a, we'll have a Slurpee on the way. We'll have a good time on the way. And then the moment he got there, everybody's in freak out mode, right? Jesus did not enter into any of that. And he got Lazarus from, back from the dead. You see what I mean? 
You want to walk into a divine flow. You want to walk in a supernatural flow. You're going to have to learn to stay out of the ditches of extremes. Even extreme excitement can get you off. Amen? And of course, getting down really low. Just don't let you, a, a, a renewed mind is even keeled. Amen? No Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde in your house. You're stable. I'm telling you that as we go throughout these last days, I'm putting more and more of a premium on people who are stable, Maurice. You're stable. Like you. I had no doubt where you'd be this morning. I don't have to wonder about where this kid's going to be. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Stable. Amen. Amen. I'm just pointing out him. Let me brag on him. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, then he went on. The other attributes in the Amplified of a sound mind is disciplined and self-controlled. So here again we see a safe thinking is restrained thinking. You don't let yourself roll thoughts over and over and over and over in your mind that are wrong, that are destructive, that are hurtful. You just don't do it. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. This is how the enemy gains entrance into people's lives. He suggests a wrong thought. And if he can get you to take that thought and you make that thought your own by turning it over in your mind, then he's gained entrance into your life. And we have to be guarded. Amen. So a sound mind is achieved. We attain a sound mind how? I, I haven't gotten over there. Let's go ahead and go there. I've got some places to be. You got, you got a little time this morning? Let's go to Romans chapter 12. You, you knew we had to get over here eventually. Let's make mention of this powerful verse. How do we renew our mind? How do we go about it? Well, not by watching Dr. Phil. And I'm not, I don't have anything against Dr. Phil. I kind of like him. But he's not God. Amen. Praise God. We renew our mind on the Word. On the Word of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I've got it here somewhere. There it is. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed. This word conformed means in the Greek to be pressed into a mold. To be pressed into a mold like you would a cookie cutter with cookie dough. Amen? And so Satan wants to, he's got this, it's called the world. <laughs> And he wants to take the cookie cutter shape of the world and press it into your soul. Press it into you so that you conform to that shape. You conform to that way of thinking. And there's a lot of pressure on the church to conform and to change core values and core tenets of the faith on things like sexuality and gender and morality to fit the shape the world wants the church to look like. We have to resist that. We cannot accept that. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Do not be conformed to this world. The word world means world system or the pattern of this world. But notice, but be ye transformed. Now he's writing to people who are already born again. But they still 
can be and need to be transformed in their life. This is attained how? By renewing the mind. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Glory to God. So a renewed mind equals a transformed life. Your, understand, your life will not change. If you don't like your life right now, you need to understand, you've produced it. No mom did. No dad did. Well, I'm not diminishing that part, but if you live very long, you get into adulthood very long, amen, we must take responsibility for our own mind. A lot of us, we got a bad start, right? A lot of us, we were injured. We were not helped by our childhoods and by our upbringing. But you cannot lean on that, and that cannot be your excuse. You will never have victory in your life if you just keep looking back and blaming mama and daddy and the childhood and Uncle Joe and everybody else. Amen? Listen, don't stay in that prison when God has unlocked the door. This is one lady I read after, and uh, she's uh, not born again. But man, she's bumped into some principles. I read her book. She bumped into some principles that are just flat God. And she said, listen, uh, you've lived into adulthood very long. Just understand, everything in your life you created, you attracted by the way you think. Well, that may not be real great news and encouraging news for us. But, praise God, we can have a transformed life. We can create and attract different things, a higher better quality of life in every area, but it will require, listen, you to think different. And pride holds people back. Ain't nothing wrong with my thinking. Ain't nothing wrong with the way I'm thinking. You can let pride hold you there. But we, we know a tree. We know a tree. How? By its fruit. If your fruit doesn't look good, if your fruit stinketh, if your fruit is rotten, if your fruit is bitter, if it's not sweet, it came from the root, honey. Amen. Hallelujah. And it's out of the abundance of the heart man speaks. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh, down in here, as he thinks, in his heart, so is he. And so outward circumstance will not be powerful enough to overcome what you is in here. Victory is lived from the inside out. That's why Paul said, work out your own salvation. Work it out into the outside. So yes, you may be born again. Jesus may be your Savior and your Lord. You may have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Congratulations. But down here on this earth, amen, if you want to have victory, you still have to be transformed, and that's going to come by a renewing of your mind. Amen? How do you do that? Well, you meditate on the Word of God day and night. Pastor, I can't do that. Well, you're meditating on something. You're thinking about something all the time. Aren't you? I mean, unless you're in REM sleep. There's something going through the machinery of your gray matter. What is it? What is it? Hallelujah. 
Is it in sync? Is it in harmony with the New Testament? Amen. Well, i got to get somewhere, so we'll have to just get beyond that right now. This morning, I want to spend a few minutes talking about victory, how to live in victory over depression. How to live in victory over depression. Go to Isaiah with me, 53. Isaiah 53. America is depressed. Americans, by and large, are unsafe in their thinking. Last statistic I read, over 40 million Americans are living with what the medical world calls a clinical case of depression. 40 million Americans. Billions and billions of dollars in productivity and in wages are lost every year in the United States due to people uh, who can't get out of bed in the morning and go to work. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not making fun. I, I'm not. I, have, I, I, I understand as a person, as an individual, what um, being depressed and feeling depressed is. Most of us do. But I, you know, I have fought uh, against being gloomy and a, and a negative, you know, whatever person most of my life. Amen. I could be down if I let myself. How many of you? you could, if you let yourself. You could frown, and you could be grumpy, and you could be down, and hopeless, and negative. It doesn't take very much. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't take very much to just let yourself get there. Amen. And it does, you don't have to have bad circumstances to feel down. Sometimes you can look around your life and everything's fine. Everything's good. You're still down. Amen. You have to understand that depression is an emotion. Amen. And emotions are generated by thoughts. What we've been talking about. Amen. If you're eat up with anger, I'll tell you why. You think angry thoughts all the time. If you think yourself a victim, I'll tell you why. You constantly have this daydream going on that you play out all the time of how you've been wronged and how people didn't do and how that bad stuff and what happened to you and oh my God. And that's what you think about all day long. And then you say, I don't understand why I feel. I'll tell you the reason the way you feel the way you feel is because of the way you think. Now the pharmaceutical industry has realized that they can make billions of dollars just by feeding you chemicals. But there's not victory in that. If you want to have good mental health and a sound mind and peace and joy in your life, you're going to have to get behind the steering wheel of your brain, of your mind, and your thoughts. Amen? People that will come to me and say, I, don't, I just lost that love and feeling for my spouse. I'll tell you why. You have allowed yourself to rehearse and think about every irritating, negative thing about your spouse. The enemy will give you a suggestion. Man, look, they're getting fatter every year. You know, and, just, and they'll just feed you, you know. Uh, man, I, you know, all this negative stuff. Or um, they're not meeting my needs. Or I'm just not happy. Oh, I'm just not happy. I'm going to give you all a real humdinger of a revelation. Y'all ready? 
If you study the Word of God about marriage, you will not find your happiness in there. Did you know that marriage is not about your happiness? I tell this to the Bible students at school, and they're like, what? Of course God intends your, every part of your life to be happy. But think about your wedding day. I wasn't there, Ken Jennifer. Did you have a preacher there? Okay, did you make any sort of promises or vows? And how much of them did you stand there just and say, I expect you, hubby, to make me happy. So you're going to make me happy. And the moment you stop making me happy, I'm out of here. Did you say that in front of the preacher? What do we say typically? I promise to be. I promise to love you and only you. And I promise to be faithful to you. And in good times and in bad times, in sickness and health and poverty and wealth, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Where was your happiness in there? No happiness. (laughs) Happiness wasn't part of the plan when you got married from the word. So being unhappy is not a biblical excuse to get out of your marriage. It's not about your happiness. It's about you keeping your promise. That's what it is. Till you die. I don't know if I ought to get married. Well, you, you ought to pray about it. You should not just be jumping into it. Because it's not about your happiness, sweetie. It's a covenant that's raw and rough and it has nothing to do with your feelings. I've been married to the same, she's been married to the same guy for 25 years, not because she's felt like it every year, but because of the covenant. That's the strength of marriage. Amen. Now, yes, having heaven on your, how did I get over here? Praise God. Anyway, I'm trying to help people think right. They think, I ain't happy, so I'm leaving. Yeah, come on. Now, I'm not talking about abuse. No. I'm not talking about certain things. But I'm talking about, <laughs> I just don't have that loving feeling anymore. Yeah, I'll tell you, because all you do is think bad thoughts about your spouse. And the devil's whispering them right there in your ear. <laughs> yeah. Overcooked your pancake. That guy, he added them all this year. Do you believe it? You know, golly. <laughs> Whatever. He's just going to throw bait at you all the time. If you take it, he just needs you to take one little wrong thought, and then he'll feed that thing. Then your spouse comes into the room, and you're like, hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, you've been ginned up all day long. You know it could be the exact opposite. When you're separate all day from your spouse, man, you could be thinking like, man, that girl, she is, woo, man, she is wonderful. Hallelujah. She is so awesome. She is so faithful. She is my best friend. I am in so... Why can't you think that? And then you, you'd be amazed how the difference in the atmosphere is when you actually show up together in the same room. Helping you. People think themselves into divorce. Yeah. People lose their pastor the same way as they lose their spouse. The devil starts feeding a little thought. That pastor ain't, ain't got no love. I don't like his tie. I don't like the way he gels his hair. Who's he think he is walking out of that little side room like he's some sort of president or executive? 
Well, the reason I stay back there is because I spent all morning trying to get in the spirit, and I don't want some carnal bucket pulling me out. Before the service, before I get behind the pulpit. They want to talk about sports. You see what I mean? But the devil just work on you. Anyway, Isaiah 53, <laughs> verse 4 and 5. See, y'all make fun of me about how much time it takes. But do you see, I'm trying to get places. I really am. And there is no biblical precedent anywhere I can find for the 20-minute sermon. I, there, I just can't find it anywhere. There's no scripture for that. Yeah, Eutychus, he fell out the window because Paul preached all night long. All night long. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. It says, Surely he, that's Jesus, hath borne our griefs. Look at that. And he's carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of, New King James says, for our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we were healed. I brought you here to show you that Jesus did not just suffer for you in spirit. He suffered for you and me in all three areas of our makeup, spirit, soul, and body. He was wounded for our transgressions, transgression, our iniquities, that's sin, that's spiritual. That's him suffering for us in spirit. But then when it says the chastisement for our peace was upon him, that's the suffering Messiah suffering for us in the soul. And then it says, and by his stripes we were healed. That is him suffering, suffering for us in body. So the redemptive plan of God is not just spiritual. You listen to some denominations and some preachers, all they, they, you know, all they seem to see, all they seem to think that God cares about is getting your name written in the book, and that's it. Well, that's paramount. But then what? Well, you're just going to sit on the pew for the rest of your life and hear salvation messages? That's what a lot of Christians do. No, you've got to go on. He suffered for you in your soul. He suffered for you so that you would not have to deal with depression. We're redeemed in our soul. He suffered, amen, in his soul so that you would not have to suffer in yours. Let's go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. I'm sorry I got worked up there. God cares about your emotions. He cares about your mind. He cares about your mental health. He cares about what's going on up there in your head. He does not want you to live with a dark cloud over your head. He does not want you to have down days. You ever have a down day, you had to step out of God's best to have a down day. Me too. Me too. And we can wallow in self-pity if we want to. And we can nurture the hurt, dark nights of the soul if we want to. But God has provided better for us. I want you to look here for a moment in the hour or two just before Jesus' 
betrayal and arrest in the garden. Matthew 26, verse 36. Jesus has this moment in his soul. And it says, Then cometh Jesus with them, the disciples, unto a place called Gethsemane. And he saith unto the, to, to, excuse me, to the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and began to be what? He began to be sorrowful. He began to be heavy. He began to be very heavy. Look at that. Did you see that? Then in verse 38 it says, Then saith he unto them, Now notice what he says, My soul. He didn't say his spirit. Jesus, is Jesus failing here? Our all-conquering, perfect Savior dealing with depression? In his soul? Did Jesus, in his soul, experience sorrow? Grief? Heaviness? Did he miss it? Is he unworthy to be our Savior? Are you unworthy? Because you experience sorrow, attacks on your soul. This attack on his soul came from the spirit realm. As an attack, part of it is just natural. His humanity knowing what he's about to endure. And the human part of you would draw back from death. You would draw back from torture. You would draw back, trust me, from crucifixion. You wouldn't say, yeah, go ahead, no big deal. I mean, you, you are y'all with me? But there was this spiritual attack on his soul to keep Jesus from advancing in the plan, from accomplishing the will of God. We are not greater than the master. If Satan pulled this on Jesus as an attempt, to keep him from moving forward with the plan. Attack him in his soul. Make him grieve. Make him, this word grieve, this word sorrowful means to feel pain. To feel anguish. It means to be vexed. It means to be very grieved. Let's see if I can find uh, in any of those other descriptions. Yeah, it means to grieve. It means to be heavy. Look at this. Uh, one Greek expositor said it means to suffer severe mental and emotional distress. To have and feel pain in the soul. And this came against Jesus in an attempt to get him to draw back. And you're going to have to push past Satan's attack on the soul to move forward at times. With the plan. Maybe your spouse left him with the heaven. And you feel that attack on your soul. You feel grief. You feel sorrowful. You feel anguish. You feel pain. But listen. There's, the plan of God for you remains. And you're not helping them. You're not honoring them by staying there in that place. Jesus only had a moment in Gethsemane. He only had a moment of this. He pushed past it. He pressed past it. He looked to the Father. He fell down in the earth. 
What you see when you see and read Jesus uh, sweating great drops of blood, what you see there is him in his spirit resisting the sorrow and the pain and the hurt and the heaviness and the grief he felt in his soul. He, he, he so resisted. I will not let what I feel keep me from my destiny. I will not let this pain keep me from accomplishing the Father's plan. I, help me, Father. And he resisted and the angels came and touched him and strengthened him. Sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. How long your night is is up to you. Jesus prayed that through in one hour. He didn't deal with a decade of being idle and on the, on the sidelines of the plan for a decade. One hour he dealt with that in his soul. And he did it resisting and he did it leaning on the father and he did it with the with the plan of God in view and what the goal was and what the plan was and he, he received the ministry of the angels and God helped him yes. and God will help you yes. I said God will help you yes. he suffered for you already in your soul in his soul so that you don't have to suffer in yours Dr. Lester Summerall, he identified seven stages that would lead a believer from health all the way to full possession if they went that far. I'll just give them to you. Time is getting away from me, so you might write them down or just go back and get it uh, off, the, off the feed. The first one is regression. The, what happens is, is something happens and that believer stops moving forward. They stand still or they begin to back up. They they, they, they let up on church a little bit. They, they, they step out of their helps ministry position. They, they stop praying. They stop worshiping. They stop pressing even just a little bit, and they regress. Satan sees it as an opportunity. The stage two is repression. The first effects uh, begin to happen to a person mentally and emotionally. They begin to lose their joy. Number three is suppression. The loss of joy and freedom gets more intense. Number four is depression. The soul now becomes totally yielded to hopelessness and negativity. The person begins to feel pressed, even crushed in their feelings. Feelings of gloom and darkness overwhelm them. Stage five is oppression. Now evil spirits climb on board. They dogpile uh, on. It's not just an emotional problem now. It's an evil spirit problem at this point. Evil spirits begin to pile on as the weight and pressure against the mind. Some people have described a band around their mind that the enemy seems like a vice to turn tighter and tighter and tighter. Emotions of distress and pain, sorrow, all of these things ramp up. Joy and peace have been completely given up. Stage six is obsession. When you get to obsession, you are now overcome and totally self-absorbed all you do is think about your little deal, your problem, how you feel. You are now fully occupied with all that you feel is bad or wrong in your life. The seventh is full-blown possession. This is a stage rarely gotten to by few people on the planet. But if you get there, 
Satan is now an evil spirit. They are in full control and doing all your thinking for you. They are in charge of your thoughts and your actions. Well, wouldn't it be good to just not regress? Dr. Summerall says an individual typically can recover themselves out of the first four stages. Regression, repression, suppression, depression. You can typically reverse that yourself if you're strong enough. You get to oppression, it's likely you're going to need divine help to get free. Today I'm going to take the time at the Lord's direction, if you'll allow me, to end this service with an invitation for those who need help getting free from oppression or depression. God loves you so much. And you shouldn't even have a thought about what people might think if you get up in this line. I've been there myself. The point is get free. I don't have time to preach on this morning, but I'm going to give you a a rundown of seven divine answers from God for depression. And then maybe we'll come back at some point and go over those in detail. The number one thing, God's first answer for depression is a sound mind. Everything we've been talking about for four services. A mind that is being renewed daily, a mind that is being guarded and defended is God's answer for depression. Number two is hope. Hope. God is the God of hope. And hope in faith circles gets a bad rap. But hope is one of three abiding spiritual forces that will survive on into eternity. Don't diminish hope. Hope is a good thing. Hope is a good thing. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6 that hope is an anchor for your soul. Hope is an anchor for your mind. Hope is an anchor for your emotions. Amen? Amen? Amen. What is hope? Bible hope is an earnest, heartfelt, sincere expectation of something good from God. You need to hold on to that. Or Roberts, I mean, he made himself a global household name by saying something good is going to happen to you today. You need to say that. You need to believe that. The Bible says in Romans 15, 13, that may the God of hope, see, He's the God of hope. If you don't have hope, He will give you one. He's the God of hope for your marriage. He's the God of hope for your emotions. He's the God of hope for your kids. He's the God of hope for your finances. He's the God of hope for your future. He's the God of hope for your present. He's the God of hope. The Bible says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You grab, what is an anchor for? To hold the boat in place. What would move the boat without the anchor? The waves. The current of circumstances apply they will we'll feel it. All of us will feel the current of negative circumstances. We will be attacked with the waves of emotion. But we have an anchor that will keep you fixed. Fixed. Unmoved. 
even though you feel terrible. You won't be moved. That hope will keep you right there. Number three. Number three is praise. Oh, my. Oh, God, help me. I want to preach on that, too. Praise is a weapon. Praise is a weapon. If you were, and we're not going to, but if you were to study Isaiah 61, verse 2 and 3 says that Jesus is anointed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to appoint for those who mourn beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. Get this, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The spirit of heaviness is depression, honey. What is God given? Not a pill. Not a pill. The garment of praise. All right, I gotta move. I gotta leave it. I gotta leave it. I don't want to, but I gotta leave it. Number four is confession. Confession is God's answer to depression. Honey, you've got to say it. You've got to say words. You've got to say words. Now, Job, he went through some stuff, didn't he? He went through more than any of us in this room. He lost all his kids in one day. And, and Satan spared his negative, critical wife. How come she didn't get caught up in the whirlwind? I don't know. Satan left her there to torment him. I'm not against wives. I've got a good wife, but I wouldn't want Job's wife for nothing. He lost all his possessions. He lost his health. He lost it all. And he, if, he's, if anybody's got something to be depressed about, it's Job. Write this down. Job 32.20. Job 32.20, you see this man say this. I will speak that I will be refreshed. I will speak that I will be refreshed. Read that in some other translations. Other translations say, I must speak so I can get relief. You must speak. When, you, when depression, you must speak. Job said, I must speak to get relief. The way past it, you got to say. You got to say it. You got you to have something to say in your mouth. Uh, you got to answer that, that depression. You do. You got to say, I can do all things. You got to say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You got to say, I'm getting to the other side of this. You got, Job knew, if I'm going to have relief, I have to say it. And listen, I wish I could tell you it was easy. But when you're in the depths, and you're alone, Pastor Chris isn't there preaching at you, you're going to have to reach in. And you're going to have to have a scripture. And you're going to have to garner strength like you're, you're, you don't, you're out of gas. You've been out of gas for five miles, but you see the end of that marathon. You're going to have to reach down, and you're going to have to say something. Dr. Jacob said to Dr. Hedabaugh, he said, Doc, I'm just, Dad, I'm just thinking about canceling the Sunday morning service. You know, his daughter died. 
He said, what do you think about that, Dad? He said, well, I'm, you ask me, I'm going to tell you, son, I think that'd be a mistake. The church is going to key off you. And you don't have to get in there and you don't have to say anything. But you need to be there. And you need to let them praise God. And you need to get them in the corporate anointing. Let that corporate anointing work on them. Amen. And so that was the plan. And they started the service. And Pastor Dennis decides, you know what? I've got to get up. And I've got to say, we're going to the other side. He, need, he knew he needed to say in front of his congregation, I'm not stopping. I'm going on. I will not quit. And he preached for 20 minutes. Amen. See, you got to speak. Number five is rejoice. Don't have time to preach on that. Number six is divine peace. Don't have time to preach on that. <laughs> Number seven is the anointing. Stand up on your feet.